Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church. I'm glad that all of our campuses have rhythm today, um, something that I'm not really good at, so I, I stay away from clapping as much as I can. Because I don't know about you, but when I sing a song and have to clap at the same time, I'm, I'm lost. It's over for me. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to Northridge Church, man. We're excited to have you here this morning. I want to welcome Webster and Greece, Aranda Coy and Henrietta, those of you who are with us, engaging with us online, and all of our guests. Thanks for being here at Northridge Church. And, and our prayer is, uh, you know, through your engagement in Northridge Church, as you continue to, to experience what we are and who we are as Northridge Church, that this, this church would become less like a crowd to you and more like a family. And that's our prayer for you. And so welcome to Northridge Church. And you picked a great Sunday to be here this morning. We're, we're jumping into this brand new series called Sacred Rhythms. And the thing about life is life is full of rhythms. A rhythm is simply this repeated pattern. It's this pattern that is regular and repeated. And we all have rhythms in life. And, you know, I'm a little bit curious. How many of you would say that, you know, you... You embrace rhythm. You love routine. You love pattern. You're the type of person that, you know, you eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. You, you kind of do the same routine every single day. And you like that way. You like to go through life planned out routine. Show me your hands. You're rhythm people. Throw me your hands in the air. Yeah, there's a lot of us at all of our campuses. Okay, well, how many of you would say you rebel against rhythm. You want to experience life through just every single day living. You want it to be spontaneous. How many of you would say to all our campuses, that's you? Throw your hands up in the air. I got bad news for you. You're going to hate this series. <laughs> You're going to hate it. No, but the truth is, is whether we embrace rhythm or we rebel against it, all of our lives have rhythm. I mean, you think about the way we eat in our culture. There's a rhythm, there's breakfast, there's lunch, and there's dinner. For some of you, you skip breakfast and you do lunch, dinner, and late night snack, but it's still a, a rhythm. There's a rhythm to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, some of us, we have meetings on Tuesday and that's the rhythm. And in and, and life, whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we like it or not, life has rhythms, patterns. And the question that we want to dive in in this series is over the next five weeks, we want to talk about the rhythms that we can't live without. The rhythms, especially when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to, to walking and trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what rhythms must I embrace to do that well? What are the rhythms that I, I can't live without? And, and this morning, I, I believe we're starting with the most important rhythm you'll ever engage in especially when it comes to following Jesus. It's a rhythm that I believe if you truly want to seek God and know God and follow Jesus, you can't do it without this rhythm. It's the rhythm of reading God's word, one of the most valuable rhythms you'll ever engage in. And I want to give you basically my thesis statement this morning and build off of it. And here it is. It's spending time in the Bible is a life-changing rhythm. Spending time studying, meditating, and digging into God's word is a life-breathing, life-giving, and life-changing rhythm. And the question is, based off of that statement, really it leads us to two questions. The first one is, do you believe that? Do you believe that if you, on a daily, regular, pattern basis, if you get into God's word and you study it and you read it and you spend time in it, it will transform your life? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a really important question. But secondly, does our belief, does our belief of that God's word can change my marriage, God's word can change the way I date, God's word can change how I am a husband and a a spouse, God's word can change me. If I believe that, does my belief transition into living? Does my, my heart, what's the knowledge that's in my head transfer into my heart and in my actions? And so, We believe that God's word is a life-changing rhythm, but for some of us at at a church this big with four campuses and people watching online, we engage with all kinds of people. You know, there's some people who who walk inside of one of our auditoriums that, you know, you're you're a little bit of a skeptic. You're new to church, you're new to this whole Jesus thing, and rightfully so, you you are a little bit like, I'm not sure, Drew, and I just want to say one, thanks for coming here. I know it's a bold step to come to a church when you're not sure of all the answers. You've got questions, and I just want to thank, thank you for coming to Northridge Church. And maybe you've got questions, and one of your major questions is about the Bible. Like, how do I know that the Bible is actually true? Like, how do I know I can rely on it? How do I know it's actually historically accurate? I mean, the truth is, is at Northridge Church, we put all our chips in God's Word. Amen. I mean, that's the word we stand on. And, and if it's proven false, we're in trouble. So how do we know it's accurate? You're, you're, you're like, ah, I struggle with that. And one of the greatest criticisms of the Bible is really over the course of thousands of years, how do we know that God's word stayed accurate to the original source? Like, that's one of the greatest criticisms. And I want to take you back to, to, to Jewish time, Old Testament time, when the scriptures were being, being written. You see, there's a sect of Jewish people called the Essenes, and they were devoted. They believed they were set apart by God, and their job was to to copy the the original manuscripts. I mean, that's this whole sect of of, of the Jews that they would be set apart, and their whole goal was we want to be able to pass down the scriptures, the, the holy word of God, through generation after generation, and we don't want it to change. And that was their goal. And up to the early 1900s, the oldest manuscript of the Bible in the Old Testament was 1000 A.D. 1000 A.D. And so that goes back thousands of years. And a lot of criticism was like, how do we know that stayed true to the original Old Testament source? But in 1947, which isn't that far, that long ago, 1947, there was a major discovery. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found. A shepherd boy found them. And in this discovery, they found over 900 segments and complete scrolls of the Old Testament. And they examined them for a long period of time, a thousand years later. And guess what they found to be true? That they matched almost identically to this text a thousand years older than them. They were almost identical and of the, very few, uh, of the very few variations were just spelling and, and mishandwriting. I mean, they were identical. And it's amazing. If you think about God's word, there's no other book or manuscript in world history that has the manuscript evidence the Bible does. In fact, let me give you a little bit of insight on this. You think of the New Testament. There are over 24,000 partial and complete manuscripts of the New Testament. We have found 24,000 pieces of it or full scrolls of it. Now, if you go to secular writing, uh, uh, one maybe that we all know, Homer's Iliad. It's one of the most popular manuscript evidence pieces in secular writing. And guess how many pieces of evidence they have for this book? 
647. So if you compare the two, 24,000 of just the New Testament of Scripture versus 647. I mean, you, you look at the Bible, there has yet to be a discovery which does not align with what the Bible has said about history and culture. And now, let's just, let's just, just go this route. You know, if you were beginning to, to write a book that you wanted to create a religion, a false religion, one thing you would never do if you wanted it to last throughout time is you would never throw in specifics because specifics are easily prove, proven false. You know, they're easily, like if you are specific, like this date and this person, and it's not true, that's easily to be proved wrong. But yet the Bible is chalked full. It's filled with specifics, specific names. And if it was false, it would easily be like, oh, that's not true. But yet over the course of time, discovery after discovery, guess what happens? The Bible just is proven true and true through science and through study and through evidence. And this is what Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says. It says, the grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? I mean, if you believe in Jesus and the word of God, that should just stir something in you. That the word of God will last forever. And here's that, what that means. This is a starting point. God's word is historical. It's historically accurate. It's verifiable through science and discovery, and it's reliable. And here's what that means for us is, is as we look at how Scripture has been, the evidence of Scripture, it, it can lead us to a place as we study God's Word, we can trust in it and we can bank on it because it is true. And the more we discover, the more evidence we find, it just points to that fact. Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says it like this. It says, every word of God proves true. And because of that, it should become, as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, this should be a rhythm in our life. If the Bible is accurate and it's true and we believe that, it should be a part of our daily life as we follow with Jesus. It should become this pattern, this rhythm, this routine in our life. And I want to give you four reasons why that should be true about us. The first one starts here. It says God uses the Bible to reveal himself to us. God has chosen through the Holy Spirit's power to, to write through human offers to reveal who he is to us. Now, at every point in our life, every single person has to answer this question. Do you believe God exists? I mean, at some point in your life, when it comes to God, every single person has to answer this question. Do I believe that God is actually there, that he exists? And so this morning, let's just, let's just assume I'm not saying you have to believe this, but this morning, let's just assume the answer to that question is yes. Yes, I believe God exists. So we're all going to assume the answer to that question. So if God really exists, my question for you is, wouldn't you want to know him? Wouldn't you want to understand him? Wouldn't you want to have a grasp of, of who he is and, and how he works and, and understand his nature and, and what makes him tick? And the, the interesting part about that is if you really want to know who God is, the great news is, is for anybody who desires, he gave us his word, and so you can find out the answer. You can get to know God, the God of the universe, the God who created everything. He chose to write a text, and, and, and that text reveals himself to us. The question is, is will we take the time to get to know God? Will we really, some of us, we want to know God, but we're not willing to really dig into the word of God. This is what 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 says. says, These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
And so God has chosen to reveal himself, to let us all know, if you want a relationship with me, if you want to know me, right here it is. Right here it is. All you got to do is pick it up and read it. Secondly, the Bible confronts our issue and points to our solution. The Bible is is filled with the greatest story ever told in human history. It's called the gospel, the greatest news. And the gospel is simply the Bible confronting our issue. It starts in Genesis, Adam and Eve. They chose to disobey God, and every single one of us from that point is filled with a sinful nature. We're prone to sin. We're prone to disobey God. If you don't believe me, if you don't think that's true, just turn on any news station, and you will see the depravity of man. We are prone. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. We are all all prone to sin. The Bible says we're all sinners fallen short of the glory of God. And, And the great thing about the Bible is it doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us in our issue. Say, hey, you're a sinner. Good luck. Try to figure it out. No, the Bible says, hey, you're a sinner, but let me show you your solution. Your solution isn't found in religion. It's not found in the way you live. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. Because on your behalf, when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He stepped in your place, and he paid for your sin because our issue separated us from a holy God. A holy God who who can't look upon sin. And so there had to be something. And Jesus stepped in and he became our forgiver, our redeemer, our savior. And he paid the price that we couldn't pay. And the Bible reveals that. John chapter 5 verse 39, it says this. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, that's Jesus, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, the Bible, secondly, it, it confronts our issue. And it points to our solution. Thirdly, the Bible penetrates to the deepest places in our lives and assesses what's there. This is what makes the Bible really unique. Is the Bible has this capacity, this ability over any other book to meet you exactly where you are in life. It can penetrate exactly where you are in your circumstances and what you're dealing with and assess what's there. It can go to the deepest places and the darkest places of your life and meet you right there. This is what Hebrews says. I love this text about the Bible. It says this. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, I have read a lot of books in my day, and I've never heard anybody describe a book like this, that it's alive and active. It's almost like scripture is saying about the Bible that it's this living organism that can penetrate your heart at at the darkest and deepest places. It says this, as it penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is why the Bible is referred to as a mirror. Because you think about a mirror, we all look at in in mirrors probably every single day. And, And the truth about a mirror is when I look into a mirror, it doesn't lie to me. It reflects exactly who I am. But what's interesting about a mirror is my perception can tell me what I want to see. And oftentimes the mirror doesn't lie to you, but my perception of what I see in the mirror lies to me. If you think about male and female, if if you ladies are much like my wife, when she looks into a mirror, my wife sees flaws. 
They're not there. They're, they're, I don't see anything. I'm like, man, I think you look great, baby. But she sees flaws, things that need change, things that really aren't there. Her perception lies to her. And you think about, you think about the, the male race. You think about me. When I look into a mirror, I could have gained 10 pounds, and I can look into the mirror and be like, Drew, you've been working out. Because you look good, man. And the mirror ain't hiding my 10 pounds, but my perception is. And the truth about the Bible is it reveals who you are, but oftentimes our perception lies to us based on what we read in Scripture. It's what we want to see rather than what God's Word is saying. And the truth is the Bible is a mirror. It's going to show you exactly who you are. It might at times even be harsh, but it will reveal to you exactly who you are because it penetrates the deepest places in our life and assesses what's there. Fourth and finally, the Bible gives us guidance for our everyday life. This is the practical side of the Bible. The Bible includes theology, but theology, the belief that transitions into practical day living. I mean, I know for all of us, we, we have questions in life. Man, how, how should I parent my kids? How should I, how, how should I date as a, a single person, not married yet? How, how, what direction should I go? Which job should I take? I mean, we all go through life and we have questions. And what I love about the Bible is it answers every question you have in life. It's a guide to walk in your journey. Psalms 119.05, it says it like this. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And I love the just imagery here. I mean, it's dark. Think of a dark path. And, and what's interesting is it refers to the Bible as a lamp. It doesn't light up the entire journey for you to see. It doesn't say, oh, hey, just here's all the choices you should make in life. No, but based on that decision, God's word is a light where it shows you the next step to take the next direction to go. It's a, it's a light to your feet in which direction, what choice you should make, how you should parent, what kind of husband or wife you should be. And it, it's a practical book. It's a book that tells us how we live every single day. And if the Bible does those four things, if the Bible reveals to us who God is, if it confronts our issue and gives us a solution, if it penetrates and shows us who we really are and it's practically leading us in life, don't you think that should become a rhythm in our life? I mean, don't you think we as Christians should say, hey, I got to be in this every single day. And all these things really lead to one question. One question that I really pray that you think about, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day, a question that rings in your head throughout the course of your life, a question that you really look inside that the Holy Spirit uses to convict you a little bit. And it's simply this, what value do you place on the Bible? And just for a moment, let that sink in. I mean, honestly, in your day-to-day -day life, what value have you placed on God's holy word? Because I think for a lot of us, including myself, is in our culture in America, we have access to the Bible in the snap of a finger. And for most of us, whether we believe in God or not, we have a copy of the Bible. You go to a hotel and you open that drawer, there's a Bible in there. There's an app. Most of us have it on our phone. Instant access, wherever we go, all we have to do is pull out our phone and look at the app, and there it is, God's word in whatever version that you desire. And what's happened is we have so much access to the Bible that we've actually become numb to it. 
We, the Bible has, has lost its luster and its flavor, and it's, we've almost become numb to it, and we've lost the value of God's word, having it in our hands, being able to read it every single day. Do you realize that there are people who would die to have that ability? People who long, who pray every day. That's their prayer when they wake up in the morning. God, could I just get a Bible in my language? And here, all of us have it, and we take it for granted. I mean, I'm getting ready to go to, to China for this adoption for our son, Malachi. And because I work for a church, to get my visa, I have to go to New York City and have an interview with the consulate of China because they don't want me to bring in the Bible to their culture. They're nervous because I'm a pastor that I'm going to try to spread the gospel. I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Through adoption. And you realize that there are Christians in China that have to worship in underground churches. And you know what they do? They don't have awesome lights and beautiful, amazing singers and, and technology to stream. You know what they do? They just open the Bible and they read it for six to 12 hours and they just eat up God's word because it's a treasure to them. It's not a book. It's a treasure. It's worth more than diamonds or silver or gold or any paycheck. It's a treasure that they have said, I can't go without this. And I'm afraid in the American church today, we just miss that. We've lost that desire where the Bible has become a treasure to us. It's just another book. You know, have you ever been asked this question? If your house was on fire and you had three minutes to go in and get the things that you love the most, the things that you value the most, what would you get? It's kind of a crazy illustration because it's not like the firefighters are going to be like, hey, you got three minutes. Good luck. But I wonder what you would grab. You know, you, you think about that. You, you, at that point, money doesn't matter. And so you're going to grab maybe picture frames with the birth of your children. You're going to grab your, your kid's blanket from day one. You're going to grab the things that hold memories of relationships that really matter to you, the things that truly do value. And I believe the Bible has to become like that for us. It's a treasure to us. It's something that as we go through life, if we were to lose it, it would be like dying. We would lose something that we desired most. And how does that happen, really? That's the question. How do we get to that place in our life and with our walk with God? How does this become a pattern in our life? And I think it starts here. I think it starts when we stop waiting on God to speak because he's already spoken. I think we get to the place in life where we stop waiting. I, I, I deal with this all the time as, as a pastor who counsels people. People come to my office and say, hey, I'm just waiting on God to speak loudly to me. I'm waiting on God, a fresh revelation from God. I need him to speak audibly. I need God to write it in the clouds for me. I need him to make it obvious. And, and I don't want to speak for God. But sometimes I think God looks on, at me and, and us and he says, hey, if actually, you know that question that you want the answer to? If you would actually just pick up the Bible that I've given to you and read it, you'd already have the answer you've been waiting for. If you, if you would just read God's word, like, hey, those things that you desire, God's already given you. You just aren't looking at the source that he's already given you. Stop waiting on him to, like, draw an elephant in the sky to give you an answer and just dig into the word he's already given. Do you realize that the Bible is all that we need? The Bible. We don't need God to speak audibly. If he chooses to do that, that's amazing. 
We don't need God to change the skies for us or write it in the sky. All we need to do is to read what God's already given us because he's already spoken. Some of us are just waiting on God to do something extraordinary, and he did. He gave us his word. Second Peter says it like this. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. I love that. He's given us everything we need. We just got to stop waiting on God and start embracing what God has already given us. But secondly, I think we need to make God's word a vital part of your daily life. Make God's word a vital part of our daily lives. And there's two words in there that are used strategically. The first word is, the word is vital. You know, Rochester is, is pretty big on the, in the medical field. It's a pretty amazing city to live in because we have a, a lot of amazing medical facilities. And, and in our church, we have awesome doctors and technicians and nurses and people who teach in the medical industry. And when you hear that word vital, if you've ever worked in the medical field, you, that's a pretty significant word because you think of vital signs, like the heartbeat. Like those are, they're, they're things that you can't live without. If your heart stops beating, I got bad news for you, it will not be good. And they're vital to your every single, everyday living. You can't live without them. And I feel like God's word should be that for us. It should be vital to our life. Like a heartbeat is. Like if I don't get into God's word, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. But yet I wonder how many of us actually live that way. I wonder if I live that way. Like this is, this is like food. This is like water. I need it. If I don't have it, it will go out in daily. It needs to be daily. You see, I think some of us, we, we view God as this vending machine. Hey, God, when I need something, I'll check in. Don't worry. But until then, you know, I'll just be around. Hey, God, I, I know, I, you know, once a week, God, we just have our catch-up meeting. It's kind of like, you know, you and your boss, like, you got a catch-up meeting. How's things going? Good, awesome, okay, see you next week. And we use God as this vending machine. Hey, when we really need something, that's when we go to God. But a relationship? Yeah, I'm not sure. And God needs to be a part of our daily life. Billy Graham said it like this. He says, we need to encourage believers to feed on God's word because it's nourishment for our soul. And I love that word feed because it's vital. If you don't eat, eventually you'll die. And the truth is, is we need to eat God's word because it's nourishment for our souls. Matthew picks up on this. It says, it's written Man shall not live by bread alone. Again, that metaphor of physical food. But every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hey, hey, I don't, I don't have to live. Like, it's more important for me to be in God's word than it is to fill my face with food. That's what that verse says. Hey, this is more important. I wonder what our church would look like. I wonder what my life would look like, my family's life would look like that, if I cared more about God's word than I do eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, what would your life look like? What would our church look like if people didn't show up on Sunday and say, hey, I need a word from God. You showed up on Sunday and you said, hey, I already got my word from God. What would that look like? I mean, that's amazing. Like, hey, man, I, I don't live by bread alone, but I crave and I hunger and I desire after the words of God. Proverbs 4 says it like this. It says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. Look at the imagery of this text. It says, hey, my son, pay attention to my words. These are important. Pay attention. Incline your ear. 
Lean in a little bit because this is going to be important. He says, keep them hidden in your heart and in your sight. And then he says this phrase. He says, for they are life. They're vital. You can't live without them. So how does this become a rhythm in our life? For some of you, it is a rhythm. For some of you, you get up every single morning and you go to bed every single night and you are in God's word and you just keep doing that. But for a lot of us, this is gonna be a change. And, and God's word needs to become a daily rhythm in our life and it's simple how it happens. We choose to read the Bible every day. We choose to be in God's word and study it and, and, and fall in love with it every single day. If we believe it's a life-changing rhythm, if we truly believe that being in God's word will tra transform us, I'm telling you, if, if you would just do this, if you would just read God's word every single day, I'm telling you, it will begin to change you. You'll be amazed at what God can do in your life if you commit to being in his word on a regular basis. He'll start transforming the way you see marriage. He'll start transforming the way you are a husband or a wife. He'll start transforming you as a teenager. He'll start using you in your, in your business as a leader or a boss. He'll start transforming you from the inside out because his word is powerful. So how do we do this? As a church, through this series, we want to offer challenges. Challenges. And one of those challenges is we want to get our church in God's word every single day. You see, there was a study in London. And this preconceived notion was in order to create a habit in someone's life, in order to create a habit, people would say it takes 21 days. 21 days of doing the exact same thing eventually will create this habit. But th there's this university in London that did a major study on this. And they wanted to break that, that, that notion. And so they took people and they started introducing habits to them. And over the course of this study, they found that it, would t it actually takes 66 days to create a habit. If you do something for 66 days straight, it creates this habit where it becomes who you are and what you do. It becomes a pattern in your life. And so we're going to do that as a church. I'm inviting every single person to create a rhythm starting tomorrow of reading God's word for 66 days straight. And we made it, we made it simple for you. We've created two plans for our entire church. Whether you're watching online or you're at one of our auditoriums or you're going to watch this later. I don't care when you watch this. If it's a year later, you can jump into the challenge. And we've made two tracks. So we're going to commit as a church, if, if you want to, we're going to commit to being in God's word, God's word for 66 days. And there's two tracks. For some of you, I understand, you're new to church. You're new to Jesus and you still have questions and doubts. And I'm telling you, one of the best ways to answer all your questions is go to the source himself to be in God's word. And so there's one track where you just read a chapter of God's word every single day. We will send you the plan. All you gotta do is follow through. So you'll read a chapter every day. But for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. We've, we know Christ and it is part of our pattern already. And we're gonna challenge those of you in, in that realm to read through the whole New Testament in 66 days. That's Matthew all the way to Revelation. It looks like four chapters a day. And so we are challenging anybody who wants to take this invitation to read through God's word every single day in 66 days, 66 days in God's word. And here's our prayer is that it won't just be something you do for 66 days, but it will be something that creates a rhythm, a pattern in your life, and it becomes who you are.
So are you up for the challenge? If you want to sign up for this challenge, it's really simple. All you got to do is pull out your connection card. And on your connection card, there's a tab that says Sacred Rhythms Scripture Challenge. And there's two tabs. You can pick the New Testament or the chapter a day. If you're watching online, you just click that Connect tab and you fill out your information. And you put it in the basket as you leave. And please write legibly so we can read your email and send you the information. The 66 days you can do on your own, but it's a lot easier if you got people to do it with you. And I would challenge you, do it as a community group. Hold each other accountable. Get in God's word. Do it as a group and say, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable. We're going to stay and go for 66 days. Because here's what I know. Because I'm guilty of this. We're all excited. It's Sunday morning, and, 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 and the teacher just said, hey, we're going to spend 66 days in, in, in God's word, and we're excited, and we're like, yes, I'm signing up, and I'm going to do this. Here's what's going to happen. About 10 days into it, we're going to get distracted. The enemy is going to throw everything he can at you to get you to stop reading God's word, because here's what the enemy knows, is if you're in God's word, it has the power to transform you, and he will do anything he can to get you to stop. And so after about 10, day 10, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know, business is going to get crazy, your kids are going to get crazy, and he's going to try to distract you from doing the very thing that you need. And so I would just urge you, if you're going to sign up for this challenge, you're committing to 66 days. No matter what gets in your way, whatever it takes, I'm going to be in the Word of God. You know, I get up pretty early every morning, around 5.30, and I go to the gym. And one of the most amazing things I love about my wife is every morning I'll get up around 5.30, I'll go to the gym and I'll come home and I'm getting ready to, to get in the shower. Um, I laid out my clothes and I'm, I'm opening the door to our master uh, bathroom. And almost every morning as I open the door, I, I find this cute girl with this sp space heater next to her. She's got it blaring. It's like a thousand degrees in that bathroom. There's like a fog that comes out when I open the door. And I find her leaning up against our tub and on her knees is the word of God. And she's got this notebook where she's taking all these notes. And she's spending every morning with her savior in the word of God. It's the sexiest thing my wife does for me. Not to get awkward or anything. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's transformed our marriage. It's transformed me as a husband seeing that. It's transformed my wife from the inside out. And I'm telling you, if you choose to get in God's word, it will be a life-changing rhythm. This is what Charles Spurgeon said about John Bunyan. He said this, he says, if you cut him, he'd bleed scripture. And I don't know about you, but that is my prayer for my life, that one day when I'm gone, someone would say that about me. Man, when Drew was cut, he didn't bleed blood but he bled the very words of God. Will you pray with me? God, I know it's, it's not easy. There's so many distractions. There's early morning meetings. There's kids that are crazy, and it's hard. It's so easy to push the most important things to the side and, and focus on what is right there in front of us. And God, I pray as we commit to this challenge that you would put a passion in our heart to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to, for 66 days that we would just dive into your word, that we'd get to know you, that you'd confront our sin, and that you, over the 66 days, would change us from the inside out, that you'd lead us to a place where reading God's word is not a box that we check. 
It's not what we do, but it's who we are. It's something we can't live without. It's vital. And so God, give us the passion. Give us the boldness to take the challenge and to fight through it. And we believe you for the rest. In Jesus' name.